It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Now, here's WBEN's Dave Debo. And what a week it is to talk politics. This was a week where some of the challengers in the 27th Congressional District, almost all of them, decided they would not necessarily go ahead and primary the endorsed Democrat. Almost all of them but one. Before this next hour is done, we're going to talk a little bit about that race. We're also going to look at, and this is kind of interesting, uh, you hear every now and then in the news about ISIS and how maybe we're winning the war against ISIS. But there's an opposing view out there that says not necessarily so. And you heard a lot this past week about CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. It was a big gathering of conservatives in Washington, D.C. Of course, they heard earlier in the week from Wayne LaPierre of the NRA. Vice President Mike Pence was there delivering a speech. President Donald Trump was there delivering a speech. But so was our own David Bellavia, one half of the Bowerly and Bellavia program, weekday afternoons here from 3 to 7 on News Radio 930. A decorated Iraq war veteran who's written the book House to House, The Battle for Fallujah. Therefore, he knows a little bit about the ISIS thing. And in the past, he's even run for Congress. So we're going to touch on that, too, before the next hour is done. Along the way, we'll take your calls for David. 803-0930 is the number. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're such a big celebrity now. Speaking, speaking of the CPAC conference, I don't know if you're even uh, good enough for this. Uh, 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 if you're too big for this program, David. Well, let's not get hysterical. There was uh, 15 people, including, you know, uh, the people controlling the gate that were there for the speech. So. So, so you weren't the main stage big keynote. You were one of the small breakout sessions. Is that shocking to anyone in the listening audience? I don't think. <laughs> Tell me about that session, though. It's interesting, though. It's really interesting to look at what was happening at CPAC. Um, I've been to CPAC almost every year for since 2006 when I came home. And there has been a definite shift in the conservative union. The last four or five years, it really got until uh, Matt Schlappen took over um, that the conservative union, where they really kind of got back to sort of the traditional Reagan conservative for years, uh, a lot of those people, the Steve Bannons, the Breitbarts, those guys were on the fringe, and they weren't really allowed to play. And in the last couple of years, they've kind of come home. Uh, but to be honest, you still saw those never-Trumpers, those conservative never-Trumpers show up at CPAC, and it's a little refreshing. You don't really see a whole lot of that on the left. But on, on the right, we there's definitely uh, not everyone's pro-Trump. It's interesting you mentioned that because earlier in the week we were talking with Rick Klein. He's the political director for ABC News. And he was obviously covering CPAC. And we asked him what he noticed was the biggest trend this past year. And he kind of took the opposite tone. Let's take a listen here. You know, the C- CPAC is a gathering of conservatives. They were very skeptical of Trump. They didn't think he was a true conservative when he ran. All of that has faded away. They are full in for Trump. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of Make America Great Again hats. And I'll tell you, every time someone said Hillary Clinton's name, you started to hear chants of lock her up. Now, I imagine part of it is where is where is this big, massive group of conservatives going to go? They're certainly not, not going to start advocating for, say, uh, Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton. But he seemed to think that the, uh, the anti-Trump forces were not necessarily, the never-Trump forces were not necessarily uh, a force. You disagree? Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. They broke CPAC. CPAC is a three-day uh, conference. And they really broke the days into sort of the different persuasions of 
uh, of conservatives. Uh, this was one of the first times we've seen homosexual conservatives and gay Republicans have uh, much more of a say than they have in previous CPACs. Uh, you saw a lot of the, the, the social issues kind of saved for Sunday. Um, the, the, uh, the, the folks that are a little bit, maybe don't get as much uh, voice and credit on Saturday uh, morning, and uh, that was pretty much, you know, the way, the way they broke it down. If you, everyone had something uh, to go for. If you're one of those never Trumpers, there's an audience there for you. If you're part of, uh, you know, what they call the alt right or a different section of what you consider libertarianism to be, there's something for you. And again, it's really trying to meet. Trump has really changed the demographics for people on the right and. There's a lot more people shopping at this store than ever before. Different types of people. And and maybe to their detriment, but I think the argument that's always been made about the Democrats is that they are big tent Democrats, whereas the Republicans do tend to be a little more exclusionary. Is this a move that you think is a good thing? Is it a is it a practical thing? Is it going to help them in the long run, conservatives? Well, I listen, I mean, you, you might... Uh, the Democrats could say whatever they want, but the proof is in the pudding. I mean, for... for when you talk about the amount of leadership in the Democratic Party, show me where the minorities are. Show me where you have African Americans in the U.S. Senate representing the Democratic Party. Tell me where the, you know the the future of minority women are in the Democratic Party. You might have a rising star. Now, this of course got a tremendous amount of negative media when Michael Steele, the former GOP, uh, I should say, the former head of the RNC basically was was called uh for all intents and purposes by the by the CPAC leadership yeah they they said basically the only reason he was elected to RNC chair is quote and here's the actual words because he's a black guy well usually that's not you know something you, you really want to say for for CPAC the, the, the you know during the actual conference normally You'd you'd want that at the uh, you know after or before, but to do it there, I, I thought it put Match Lappin in a really bad spot. It obviously offended, personally offended, as it should Michael Steele, and it's ridiculous. Michael Steele has been a uh, a thirty year member of the GOP and has done incredible things for the party. But uh, when you know, it, it certainly is true that when you have an African American president, uh, you you also want to be able to. Uh, show that there's diversity in the Republican Party, but to say that that's the only reason why he became the chairman, I think, was pretty uh, pretty ignorant for someone to make that statement. Yeah, in fact, uh, the guy that said those remarks, the the head of CPAC's communications, Ian Walters, did try to put it in that context. He said, "Look, we we had just come out of." having the first African-American president elected on the Democratic side. Therefore, the Republicans needed to counterbalance that. Therefore, they turned to steel. That was sort of the, the rationalization after the fact. But his initial remarks absolutely were, oh, he was only elected because he's a black guy. Well, I mean, listen, that that's a comment that, you know, might be acceptable, uh, you know, in, in little small circles, uh, whoever decides that. The, I, I just don't think that there's any room for that line of thinking. And I really don't think it, it certainly shouldn't be a public person. Um, that's not a credible voice for the future of the party. And by the way, you know, this next midterm election and the next presidential election, you're going to see more African-Americans, more, uh, you know, gay Americans. I think, you know, the, the, the future party, if, if if the Republican Party wants to take it 
you know, to the right, I think it's fair to say that the modern Republican Party has more to go to the right than the Democrats currently have to, to move to the left. I think you could see that there is, uh, that, that the, the left, the, the Democratic Party, I think, has gotten more fringe in their leadership than you've seen. I mean, you've got open members of the Senate and the Congress telling the president that he's extreme on immigration. I mean, you would never see that in the Democratic Party. So I think the Republican Party still has comfortable ways to move to the right. And the Democrats, I don't know. Um, maybe the future of the Democratic Party is, is John McCain and, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham and the Republicans that can't find a, a home in today's Republican Party. Do you think, really? That, that's interesting, because obviously they're, they've kind of been on the outs with the Trump crowd. I do, well, listen, I, I don't think that, let, let's just look at Erie County politics. I don't think Len Lenahan has a place in today's Democratic Party in Erie County. I don't think that the, the type of uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who had his beliefs, was unapologetic about the way he saw the world, but could still have a rational, cogent conversation about things he's not comfortable with or doesn't agree with without becoming an emotional uh, basket case. That isn't in today's politics. You don't see that anymore. I have to mention whenever I uh, reveal anything personal about myself that, yes, I did once work for Fox News and their Washington bureau, but I also, many years ago in college, was actually a staffer briefly for one summer with Daniel Patrick Moynihan. My, what a mind that man had. Big-minded. Brilliant. And, and by the way, you know, when it came to Tip O'Neill and it came to Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and you looked at the... These were minds that were respected that the other side had to maneuver against because, you know, it was a game. They understood each side's going for its own, but there was, there was almost a sense of mutual respect. That mutual respect is long gone in Washington, D.C. I don't think it existed in Albany. And you think that the CPEC conference that you were just at uh, kind of moved the meter closer to that mutual respect, closer maybe to a, a Lindsey Graham, John McCain kind of candidate? I think those guys are getting out of the party. I really do. I, I see that the – and it's interesting because Mitt Romney's going to come to a fork in the road real quick. Yeah. You know, Romney's going to have to decide what type of Utah Republican he wants to be. If he's going to go the Mike Lee approach, you know, that, that terrain is, you know, it's already existed. That's a, a one-lane highway. If he wants to go left of Orrin Hatch, it might play nationally, but I'll tell you what, uh, there's a lot of people that see those guys as, you know, basically uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan Democrats. They're, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of of future candidate models of John McCain in the Republican Party. Eight oh three oh nine thirty is our number. We're talking with David Bellavia, afternoon host here on News Radio nine thirty, and a guy who was actually at that CPAC conference in Washington. In a large respect, we're we're looking at sort of the the future of the conservatives and the Republicans, at least as uh, as exhibited on display at that conference. A little bit later, we're going to touch on ISIS and we're going to touch on some congressional stuff too. But David, in, in that room, eight oh three oh nine thirty. By the way, got to give that number in case you want to join us. Um, in that room. You mentioned the midterms earlier. Were they laying the groundwork in any way? Were they actually um, beginning to or, or starting to um, somehow sign people up to work in races in their individual district? We'll get back to you with the answer to that in just a moment. We are late for our break. More to come. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. 
It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. We're talking with David Bellavia, WBEN's David Bellavia, one half of the Bowerly and Bellavia program each afternoon here starting at 3. Uh, before the break, David, I apologize. Uh, I was so abrupt on my question there, I pressed the wrong button and we cut you off. Uh, so I'm glad you're back. I'm glad there's no hard feelings. Uh, <laughs> but before the break, we were ac- asking a little bit about the CPAC conference that you just uh, came back from. Uh, or for all I know, are you still there? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you're still at the conference or are you back in Western New York? No, no, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back home. Okay. Before the break, though, you were, I, I was asking you about the midterms. Is this conference just a big pep rally, everyone getting excited, exchanging ideas, going home happy, or is it the kind of place where you see people actually signing folks up, getting ready to create some more activism that will perhaps uh, sustain the Republicans through the midterms? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you're, you're really kind of diagnosing the difference between the two types of voters uh, with Democrats and Republicans. Um, Nick Langworthy, the, the one thing that Nick Langworthy does better than probably any chairman, and you can even say New York State, is that Langworthy is very good at getting out that vote of using his membership and truly understanding his, you know, w- what the candidates need and what towns and what villages. When you look at the Democratic Party, one of the things that's really interesting about Western New York's Democratic Party, you know, Jeremy Zellner in Erie County is probably the most moderate chairman in his entire western new york delegation when you think about it the more rural the towns you know the counties are in the democratic party usually you find more progressives running those rural parties but they're small and the thing with republicans we're not uh we don't plan uh years out when it comes to canvassing colleges and that's what the democratic party does what we're trying to do is isolate um, the pockets that have seen, you know, the resurgence after, you know, the tax cuts. If you've got, again, candidate models, you look at, you know, more as the country expands. If DACA ends up becoming uh, where we've got an extra 2 million people that are becoming American citizens, the party has to reflect that image. We have to find, you know, more representatives uh, that are African-American and female and Hispanic. And we're finding that, you know, these numbers and the economy, it, it always comes down to how you're doing personally. Doesn't matter what wars. George H.W. Bush proved us that yeah. to be the case. It's always the economy. I think Republicans are putting all their chips in that basket. Um, but the conservative union is not traditionally uh, an aggressive wing of the Republican Party. It's its own separate group, and it exists pretty much to remind Republicans that we're here, that we vote, and we write checks, too. And uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to make sure I understand it. In some ways, the conservatives at CPAC have moved more conservative, away from the Lindsey Grahams, perhaps, away from the, uh, the, the Mitt Romneys, maybe. But they're becoming a bigger tent, allowing more different kinds of conservatives in, be they gay or black or whatever. Right. See, I, I think the leadership of, of the conservative union for probably at least the, the better part of the end of the Bush administration and the Obama years was really more, uh, you know, moderate than the membership of the conservative union. Right now, we have a 
you know, a, a evangelical, social conservative, economic conservative, uh, everything across the board. Matt Schlapp checks all the boxes, and he's brought those types of people in. But by doing so, he's allowed other people who disagree to have the stage. And that's something that we didn't see in the... Uh, I think the Democrats have a hard. Well, to be fair to the Democrats, they have to find a candidate to get around, right? Yeah. So that whoever they pick as their candidate is going to really kind of dictate the way the party goes. But because they don't have that yet, the Republicans really are in a in a, a, a much better advantage. Uh, because if again, you know, traditional first term presidents in their first midterm, they lose on average of thirty two uh, congressional seats. Anything short of that is going to be a complete disaster going into a presidential election in 2020. All right. When we return from the news break, we'll uh, start to take some phone calls. If you're on hold, stay right there. We will get to you after that. 803-0930 is the number. David Bellavie is here, just back from the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C. We're talking, I guess, about the future of the conservative uh, movement, not necessarily the conservative party, small-c conservative movement, and just what it meant in the context of everything that went down in CPAC. Uh, some people said in some ways there's still a, an undercurrent, I guess, of never Trump there, but at the same time, there were chance of lock her up whenever Hillary Clinton was mentioned. So in that regard, the conference seemed to be taking a more traditional uh, approach. And when we come back for the news, too, David, give me a little teaser on this. Your speech particularly, your session at CPAC, dealt with ISIS. About a minute left, and we'll, we'll delve a little further after the news. What did you say about ISIS? What is the nugget there? Well, the nugget is that uh, we're taking a tremendous amount of political uh, you know, territory from ISIS, but the problem is that the, the, we still have the formula for another group to form, take place, and grow, and that's because our allies are not being allies. Russia and Turkey are not going after ISIS. They're going after Peshmerga and American uh, friends in Kurdistan, and this is a real problem. Syria is worse than it ever has been. So as long as we leave some ISIS in some parts that are controlled by our allies, air quote allies, you would say, uh, we're running the risk of having them rise up again? I'm saying that we are, in order for us to truly eliminate ISIS, we are going to kill Turkish soldiers and Russian soldiers. And that is a major problem for our military, but more importantly, Turkey is a member of NATO. Yeah. What are they doing defending ISIS? It's un, it's unbelievable they should be expelled from NATO. All right, we'll delve further into that after the news. It's News Radio 930, WBEN Buffalo. It's Hardline on News Radio 930, WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Hey, coming up at 12 noon, the radio version of Meet the Press. They, of course, are going to be talking about the Florida shootings and all of the debate that has sprung up around that. Also, this was the week where you probably saw the Democrats had to redact it because it wasn't all unclassified, but the, they released their response to the Devin Nunes memo about how the Trump-Russia investigation unfolded. They'll be talking more about that. We're talking right now with David Bellavia. Yes, he is the afternoon host here on News Radio 930, WBEN, part of Bowerly and Bellavia. But he's also someone who just came back from the CPAC conference in Washington. So we're talking a little bit about uh, modern conservative movement. And David, you were there speaking also a little bit on ISIS. Before the break, you said something interesting, especially in light of your history. I, I don't think a lot of people who are new to the station 
uh, think of you as anyone other than the afternoon host, but you are a Silver Star recipient. You are the author of House to House, The Battle for Fallujah. You know a little bit about fighting terrorists, and you were saying that we run the risk, if we really want to go after ISIS, we run the risk of hurting Turkey and hurting Russia because they're not uh, they're not doing their job there. Explain again if you can. Well, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, uh, the United States uh, did an airstrike, uh, basically took out a, a, a modern Russian tank and killed an estimated 110 what we're calling mercenaries, what the Russian government are calling mercenaries. Well, you know, that's nice to put that on paper, but it, Russia would have to admit to having troops on the ground, first of all, which they would never do. And second of all, you know, it, it speaks volumes that when you have the people you're training, your American men and women on the ground, and they're being attacked, uh, an assault on their forward operating base with Russian troops attached. Wow. Not a proxy war at that point. That's a full-blown uh, escalation. And the American military did their job. And, and that's one of the things where, you know, Trump is going to get all the credit because he's the president. But the reality is this is a war being fought by people on the ground. Um, you don't have near James Clapper was approving individual drone strikes. You should never have any yeah. national intelligence making those calls. That should be someone, a bureau person on the ground saying, we've got a person, we can confirm it, and we're taking them out. And when you said this at CPAC, the room burst into applause, right? I understand. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the reaction at CPAC, when you said this during your breakout session, during your speech, uh, it burst into applause? No. Uh, no. I'm not being facetious there. I, I'm guessing uh, that crowd was probably really intrigued to hear you. Well, look, there, there's a lot of people that disagree. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm prepared for that as well. But we, unfortunately, NATO has been neglected. Uh, a lot of people question why there is such a thing as NATO. But understand, there's a schizophrenia in the military today as to what we're fighting. Are we going to fight China? Are we going to fight Russia? Do we prepare for a modern satellite hacking war uh, where we use intercontinental ballistic missiles, possibly? Or do we continue to keep our guard up for what is, you know, the most, uh, I think, real threat which is this non-state actor that pops up and starts killing civilians um i think we can do both but unfortunately when we have members of nato that are showing allegiances to the people we're trying to kill we got a major problem in turkey and we really can't ignore it anymore 803 is our number let's start taking a couple phone calls here for david pat on a cell phone kick it off for us good morning you're on the air uh, thanks for taking my call you know first i, I think it's awfully benevolent uh, of the conservatives to allow gays or blacks under their tent. I've been a conservative for 43 years. I never thought they were outside the tent. Uh, and, and to that point, as long as uh, we're allowing these people now, as you guys put it, does that mean there is really not a conservative party, that the conservatives aren't any different than the liberals? Because I doubt you'd see a liberal that says ISIS is a good thing. I doubt you'd see liberal that says uh, we should allow immigrants that kill uh, into this country. And one final point, when David points out that we kill these mercenaries and Russia wouldn't ever, ever take uh, responsibility for them being Russian troops, did we take responsibility for Blackwater? They were U.S. contractors. Did we take responsibility? And that's the problem. Until we start getting honest in our conversations, 
it doesn't matter that I'm a conservative and you're a liberal and somebody else is a Democrat. We're being fed the same nonsense without being told the truth. Just so I understand it, I want to try and get to a question for David to react to here, Pat. Um, are you saying that if the conservative movement used to be about social issues, that by loosening themselves up on some of the other issues like uh, homosexuality, Fortune. that they're losing their they're losing their core beliefs. I, I I want to try and understand what your your premise there was. The, the premise is that the the conservatives now aren't any different uh, different than liberals. That there are many different opinions of uh, conservatives, as there are many different opinions of liberals, and not all of them support the liberal position or the conservative position or the Republican position. But when you have partisans out there working to divide and not telling necessarily the whole story. Uh, they're telling bits and pieces of the truth to illustrate that, that bits and pieces were that the Russians aren't any different than we were. We had black water on the ground, uh, for goodness sakes, uh, killing uh, innocent civilians. Uh, we didn't take credit for them. We didn't say, ah, that's the United States military. Uh, no, we sort of distanced ourselves from them. So I'd like to hear David explain how what, what distinction he draws. Man, I don't know. I don't know what conservative party you're a part of, but either uh, listen. Any person, I don't care who they love, uh, what they worship. Uh, you want to come and vote for a conservative or a Republican against Hillary Clinton? God bless you. I'm not changing the way I see the world. I'm not asking them to change the way they see the world. What I'm saying is, in a divisive world where everything is polarized, where we're having debates about a Second Amendment, and then four days later we find out that the kid himself called the police saying he was going to shoot up a school, and we have law enforcement that didn't even enter the building to take the bad guy out, I'd like to have as many people on our side as possible because I think it's the side that's uh, of reason. But the thing with Blackwater... Does Blackwater even exist anymore? I mean, talk about accountability. The reason why you have mercenaries on the battlefield, and many people think that's the future of combat, these non-state players that have contracts, is because, quite frankly, you can't retain American soldiers to do the job themselves. And if you would pay soldiers what they're worth and what they actually do, you would never have a gap there anyway. Blackwater has always operated under the same rules of engagement uh, that American soldiers have. And I'll be honest with you, I got a lot of guys alive today because of the work that Blackwater did in Najaf, in Bakuba, in Fallujah, in Ramadi. I mean, you could say whatever you want to about contractors, but they're still getting shot with the same bullets that are coming our way. And uh, they're Americans who do their job. I love contractors in, in uh, overseas. And if a gay person wants to be a conservative... Let's uh, let's go to the Streisand concert. I'll buy. I, I'm <laughs> what you are, who you love. Um, we're, I'm not changing my core beliefs and my principles, but 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 what what Pat was uh, trying to raise, I think, and if I'm putting the wrong words in your mouth, Pat, jump on in here. Um, what do you see then as conservative core beliefs? Because for a time, that included a certain stance on social issues that would not have allowed something like gay marriage. Do you, do you see my point, David? What Define the conservative movement right now there, in terms of where it was on social issues in the past, issues that would have made it perhaps in the past a smaller tent. 
But, but listen, we're right on the social issues. We're not, we haven't punted because the Supreme Court made a decision. Uh, there's not a person in this listening audience that wasn't raised with the belief that marriage is, is what marriage is. Now, if the law of the land is going to say that a man can marry a man and, and, and uh, gays can be married, are we going to punish gay people for a decision that we disagree with with the Supreme Court? Where has there ever been a platform in the Republican Party or the conservative movement that was against anyone? We're for things. We're not against things. And Franklin Graham or any other leaders are a part of stand presence of the conservative movement? I, have you turned them off? Hispanics are a part of this Trump movement. And Trump's going to get reelected with black support, with gay support, and with Hispanics. Because at the end of the day, uh, now that you have gay marriage, the law of the land, gay uh, families are adopting. Guess what they want for their kids? The best education available. They don't want to spend a lot on taxes. So I don't care what we disagree with. I'm focusing on what we agree on, and that is, you know, the defeat of <laughs> theology. All right, and and before we uh, take our break here, then define for me, David, what you think those core principles are that united the people at CPAC and indeed uh, defines the conservative movement. You spoke of education. I'm guessing small government is in there. Uh, give give me the bullet points that that sort of define the movement. The movement is now been hijacked by Donald Trump, and that is the unshackling of American greatness. Stop getting out. America has to get out of its own way uh, with the regulations, with the tying our hands behind the back. We will buy resources from another country that treats their people like garbage and literally has slave labor, but we won't harvest that same resource in our own uh, land, uh, which would, A, stop our men and women from going over to bleed for oil, and the second thing, of course, is be able to control our destiny, be able to do it responsibly in a way to save the environment. It's about unshackling American greatness and it, empowering the individual, uh, telling government you have a role in Americans' lives, but it is not paramount, and we don't need government to be successful. In fact, we need less of it to be more successful. And I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, uh, the last time I looked, regardless of skin color or sexuality, you know, we still love to feed our families. And at the end of the day, I think that's what's going to carry elections. All right. Perfect point to take a break. We'll be back after this. More with David Bellavia. We're talking about, in some ways, the conservative movement, things that he saw at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. And that includes, by the way, a session that he conducted, even gave a speech there about ISIS as well. So there's a lot on the table, and we'll get to more right after this on Hardline News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Closing minutes here with David Bellavia, just back from the CPAC conference, the Conservative Political Action Conference in New York, uh, excuse me, in Washington, or just outside Washington, something called, I guess, Washington Harbor, a big conference center there. 803-0930 is the number if you'd like to get in on the conversation. So far, we've covered ISIS, and I guess uh, the, the big topic today seems to be where is the conservative movement right now? How big of a tent? I do, though, David, want to talk to you a little bit before we go here also about the upcoming congressional race, specifically the 27th district, Chris Collins, uh, being challenged possibly with a Republican primary by two others, Larry Piegza and Frank Smirciak. 
uh, whether they end up challenging him or not really depends on the petition process, which is about to start next month. Uh, and at the same time, on the Democratic side, you have endorsed Democrat Nate McMurray, who might face a possible primary from Mumford businessman Nicholas Stankevich out in uh, Orleans, no, Genesee County, rather. Uh, talk to me about how you see that shaping up. Conventional wisdom, and I think it's pretty much a given, is the district is such that Collins would really have to uh, have an amazingly well-organized, huge, supported candidate against him to lose. Chris Collins could hand out ARs to school children and win by four points in New York 27. Um, the, the guy, it, it, that, that district is stacked. And let's be honest, let's be fair to Chris Collins. Uh, we've never seen Collins fight back outside of page B when he was county executive. Nobody, nobody finds the county executive fighting with the legislature sexy. You know, nobody cares what the comptroller and the county executive are talking about. Outside of the Buffalo News, it's not on television, it's not on radio. Now Collins, we get to see Collins in the arena fighting back, defending stuff. And you know what? He's pretty good at it. He is kind of a, a, a pit bull. He does have a fight to him. And I attacked him without mercy over the whole not having a town hall meeting. And then you know what? I don't know. Congressman got shot. A bunch of people started acting like animals. Uh, I, don't, I think Chris Collins was right about that. I think I was wrong about that. So... So, yeah, you in no way uh, are writing him off. Conventional wisdom in no way is writing him off. Uh, talk a little bit more about Nate McMurray, though, the Democrats-endorsed candidate. He seems like a great guy. I th You know, uh, everything going for him. Uh, you know, uh, Kathy Hochul uh, lost by, you know, uh, less than a percentage point, I think. It was a very close race against Collins the first time around. But here's the thing. You know, all of the uh, stink of the county executive time was what people were washing when it came to Chris Collins when he ran for Congress. We now have him and a body of work of what he will do as a congressman. And I don't know if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican. I mean, look, the, the stock market thing, uh, it, was that good discretion? Obviously not. Was it criminal? I mean, I'm a guy who ran against him in the primary. You know, if there was an opportunity to take a swing at Chris Collins because he deserved to be taken out of office, I'd be the first in line. I'm telling you, as his opponent, he's doing an outstanding job. He's a, he's a fighter. He's consistent. And uh, I'm sorry, if you're going to run at him as a conservative, I, I don't know how you're going to be able to pull that off with, with, the, uh, with the nature of that district. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not anything that Chris Collins, you can point to and say, my God, Chris Collins, why did you do this to us? Um, and in fact, I see him getting his tail kicked in at CNN when no other Republican wants to do that, defending this president. Um, and now with infrastructure, $1.5 you know, trillion dollars of infrastructure, uh, what we want our horses out there. To, there's a lot of bridges and roads that need fixing in western New York. November is nine months away, and all of the activism and all of the uh, excitement, as it is, about the gun issue uh, could very easily fizzle between now and then. Do you see it being an issue by the time actual elections come around? I do, and I, and I think it's going to work like every gun issue works. Uh, in Missouri, it's going to hurt Democrats. In New York, it's going to help Democrats. Um, 
you know, it's it's one of those things where if you're a blue state, you're against these guns. Um, but again, it, it, there's really not a lot to debate. I mean, there's there's nothing. Uh, we we have a ton of laws. We have a ton of things that we can enforce. And if you want to bar, you know, kids from buying rifles when they're 21, I don't think they should be joining the military till they're 21. How could you have a kid run around and shoot a rifle professionally to defend liberty and tell him that he can't own it when he goes home? I mean, it, it's outrageously absurd it's extremely narrow-minded and uh these gun debates we've had them forever and uh blue states win red states they lose and i had tried to reach out by the way earlier in the program we had one of the students who marched outside collins offices on the gun issue i tried to reach out to uh one of the most uh, uh big record holders in erie county athletic conference rifle shooting there are high school students that still compete in that the uh, one particular person i talked to didn't want to necessarily come on the air but it's not as if every student is looking at guns the same way as every other student look this is there is never a time a free society where innocent uh people have constitutional rights taken away because of the actions of a few. It's an absurd premise. There are a ton of people that belong to churches that, that you know, want to hurt people, or, you know, mosques and synagogues that, that want to hurt people. You wouldn't suspend the right to assemble or to take away their, their religious freedom because of the actions of, of a cult. It's, a, it's an absurd argument. It's, it's not a serious debate. And, and you're saying because the First Amendment is ingrained in the Constitution, uh, the Second should respect, be respected the same way, and that the, the, the same argument applies across both. David, that is all we have time for, though. Got to run. Glad you were able to spend some time with us today. I appreciate it. It's always fun.